0: This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus says these words, If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Lord Jesus, would you speak to us today through these words? We ask that you would give us a picture of what it looks like to live in unity and in perfect communion as the family of God. Open our hearts to hear and receive these words from you afresh, we pray. Well, I'm very excited to speak for a few minutes about our reading today from Matthew 18. As I've sat with it this week, I feel like I have a slightly different perspective on it than I have when I usually come to this passage. Often, when I've read these words, they for me feel a bit like a handbook on how to resolve conflict a bit of a handbook on what we're meant to do step by step. If this doesn't work, do this, and then do this, and do this. And yet, as I've sat with it and prayed with it this week, I feel as though our Lord's inviting us instead, not to discount the reality of that, but instead to say more holistically, could this be a picture of what normative relationships in the church are meant to look like? That this is a picture of what it means to live as the family of God and to relate to one another as brothers And sisters, and then central to that, the role that forgiveness plays. The role that forgiveness plays in these relationships. I feel as though I was taught the value and significance of forgiveness from a very early age. My parents did their very best to raise me in the faith and to uh, instill these values into me and my siblings. And yet, if I'm honest, often those went in one ear and out the other. Not my parents' fault, it was my own fault as well. Uh, Maybe primarily my own fault. And yet, one thing they said always stuck with me, and it related to forgiveness. Because I remember, especially my mother, from the earliest of days all the way through my childhood, always saying there is a difference in saying you're sorry and asking for forgiveness. There's a difference in just being sorry and then actually asking for forgiveness. So for me, I think of so many childhood moments where as an older sibling, I would pin my little brother down and uh, just beat him, you know, relentlessly for no other reason than I think that's what I was told brothers are meant to do, right, Sindhu? No? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, it's what we would do. And so when I would n- naturally get caught, my mother would say, say, say uh, tell him you're sorry, and... I wasn't actually sorry. I was sorry maybe I got caught, sorry uh, that I had to stop doing it, sorry my brother didn't find this as enjoyable as I did, um, and yet she would never leave it there. She would always say, you can't just say you're sorry, you need to ask forgiveness. You need to ask him to forgive you because what she was trying to do, even as a young child, was deep within me plant this value that forgiveness is needed because in some way a relationship has been compromised. The intimacy of that relationship has been compromised. When I beat up my little brother, the relationship we have was not the same as it was before, which was hard to understand when you're 8, 9, 10, 20 years old, whatever it may be. Um, and I think of that, as silly as that may be, I think of those words as I look at Matthew 18. Because Matthew is passing down to us as central to our faith the value of forgiveness. If you think of it, of all the things that Matthew and the other disciples surely saw and experienced with Jesus in their gospel accounts, they say these are the things that we believe by the inspiration of the Spirit are central to be passed on for the flourishing of God's people. And central to that, then, is this teaching on forgiveness, the way in which we are meant to live together. And yet, there's so many ways we could take this passage, really so many ways we could define the word forgiveness. What does it actually mean to forgive someone? And here's what I would say. Maybe this is the one big thought I want us to sit with today. Forgiveness aims to remove isolation. Forgiveness aims to remove isolation. That is always the heart of what it means to forgive. Look at verse 15. I think verse 15 that we read today is really central to this idea. It says this, if another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. You've regained that one. I feel like that verse is so often misunderstood. Like if there's ever a verse taken out of context, this is one of them. Top of the list. Because you could read this as like license for laying into someone you don't like and saying that the Bible tells me to point out your faults. And so I'm going to happily do so. And yet what we miss in that is that Jesus assumes in these words a heart of charity and a heart of love towards the other. That our aim is reconciliation, the removal of isolation, as it says, to regain that person. That is why we would ever point out the faults of someone else in the church. It is to regain that person. And I think this is one of the hardest parts of the Christian life, that the things we do have to be motivated by a proper desire, a proper intention. It's as St. Augustine said, love God and do whatever you please. I love that line. Very famous line from Augustine. Love God and do whatever you please. You and I are free to do as we please. And yet the Christian life is not absolute freedom. We live with certain constraints. We we are actually constrained by the love of God. And the love of God compels us to act in a certain way, even within freedom. It's meant to love and that love is meant to animate and inspire the freedom by which we live. And so here's a test. Here's a test that you and I can live by to say, are we in fact living by the love of God? Are we in fact animated by that way of life? How do you and I respond when we are hurt deeply by the people we are closest to? How do we respond when we feel betrayed by those we love the most? Because I think both of those are assumed in this passage. It's an intimate offense. It's a deep offense and it's intimate relation because you can be offended in a very superficial way. This happened to me last week. I was shopping in the grocery store. And in pandemic times, grocery stores have added all these arrows that tell you which way to go. And I didn't see said arrows. And this woman came up to me and just laid into me saying, what is with you men? You never go the right direction. And I was so offended because it wasn't intentional. I just saw the garlic stuffed olives and I really wanted them. And so I walked over to get them and she beelined to me and told me all the things that I was doing wrong. It, it like unsettled me for days, but that's not a deep offense, nor is it personal. I will likely never see her again. And if you're watching this uh, by some miraculous chance, I, I, I forgive you. And we can get through this together, Lady and Aldi. Um, So these are deep offenses, and they're assumed to be intimate relationships as well. And this is something significant for us to sit with. Jesus assumes our relationships in the church are intimate. He assumes a level of knowledge and relational closeness that this kind of offense would even be possible. And so what does it mean to be the church? It's not that we have great programs or kids ministry or music or preaching or that we know how to live stream. Because if you're putting your hope in any of those things any given week, you're going to be let down. As we saw last week, we we struggle to navigate these technicalities, to navigate all of these various parts, but those are all external. Those are all even periphery at times. What's at the heart of what it means to be the church is to know God and be known profoundly in intimate, vulnerable ways by the people of God. And that's what Jesus assumes here, that we're living a way of life that brings great healing and great hope for what it can mean to live in community, but that kind of relationship by necessity means it's possible to be wounded in profoundly deep ways. This is the fruit of sin, by the way. Those wounds leave us isolated and sin is always relational in the Bible. The fruit of sin is not a technicality, but it's a break in relationship. This is what Jesus says. This is what he says. He speaks of sin. If any member in the church sins against you, that's what you see all the way back in the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is a picture of perfect relational intimacy that through someone's actions of self-exile, of self-isolation, leads to a break in intimacy, a break in relationship, the loss of community. It is self-made, but it is very real and profound. And this is what, at our best, we in the church have to wrestle with. Because if we are at our best, we're living in such close relationships that this is actually a possibility. Because it will happen. You will be offended. You will be hurt by people in the church. And yet, I find, as odd as it may sound, I find some degree of comfort or at least hope in that because it means we're actually living vulnerably and we're living the kind of relationships that Jesus imagines. And if that kind of feels abstract or um, theologically disconnected from the life you and I actually live, this plays itself out in all sorts of ways. In the way you relate to people in the church, it plays itself out in your domestic relationships with your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your children. This affects how I parent increasingly As I learn how to parent because good parenting is a skill that we acquire and it's taken some time. I I feel so bad for my oldest child because she's had to be the guinea pig as we learn slowly as parents how to do this. And yet I'm learning slowly to help them see that their actions, their sin, to use that biblical word, their sin Is not just doing a bad thing or giving in to a temptation. Their sin is separating us and creating isolation. It's building a wall. I tell one of my children that often uh, who struggles with anger. When they are angry towards their parents or towards a sibling, it's like they've built a wall. And I'm not always a great parent. Sometimes I rise to their level or go down to their level, depending on how you phrase it. And I meet them in that angry place. And yet there's other times, by God's grace, when I help them to see what's going on here and to say, in your anger, in your rage, you're building a wall. And until you acknowledge that, and until you come to me with humility and ask for forgiveness, like that lesson I learned all the way back when I was a kid, that wall stays in place. And so I've tried that to varying degrees of success, but it's beginning to take root, I believe, with my kids to say, you've built a wall through your actions and when you're ready, I can't wait for you to begin to take that wall down so we can be restored, so we can be brought back together. And as simple as that may sound, where are the walls in your life? Where are the walls that maybe others have built and you've ignored them and tried to go right around it and it hasn't actually acknowledged the reality of the break or the division? Uh, Where have you built walls that it's only in your power to take them down, where you are the one who's actually needing to take that first step of taking that first brick and taking it down and saying, I'm going to choose humility and choose reconciliation because this isolation is leading to death. That's what you see in Genesis. The death we read about at the very beginning of the story of God is the death of isolation. This is the heart of the gospel. This is the heart of the good news of following Jesus because Jesus came to end isolation. He came to end, the, to break down the walls that we build and to restore intimate relationship. Uh, I think of this when I think of the Trinity icon here over my shoulder. Uh, one of the most profound images of the Christian faith that we hear at Trinity reflect on and pray with week in and week out. I think of that when I read our last verse today, and we'll close here, where verse 20 says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. For most of my life, I read that verse and thought of it almost like a New Testament version of the Old Testament story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, where the people of God are here together And then God shows up, you know, the presence of God comes and enters into that place and is with them. And yet, stick with me on this. What if it's the other way around? What if instead of it being a picture of God coming down and showing up in that place, what if when we as two or three live this kind of reconciled life, live this life that refuses to accept isolation as normative for Christians and says, I choose to forgive, to be reconciled to you, to regain this intimacy and this perfect community that we love. What if it's actually here on earth, a picture of heaven? What if it actually is for us a snapshot of what is eternally true? What if it's our life and our relationships caught up into the life of God? And so I believe when we live this way, when we live this reconciled life and choose to pursue intimate, profound relationship that is vulnerable and chooses to forgive within the church, we reflect the very life of God, the nature of God. I think our world has lost all imagination for something like this. In our world today, we see really the rejection of forgiveness, the rejection of this sort of reconciliation, because it's a winner-take-all, zero-sum game, especially in this moment. That's what you see time and time again. What if we as the church could embody a better way? What if we as the church could say, the way of Jesus is one animated and motivated by love, and so I choose to move towards you and to be reconciled to you to show the world the very nature of God. Let it be so, Lord Jesus. We pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.